We're continuing our series about getting out of our uh, comfort zones. <clears throat> and we're going to be in two different places this morning. We're going to briefly look at Leviticus chapter 18. I'm sure you're thinking, yay, we're going to be in Leviticus. Can't wait. And then we're going to jump over to Colossians chapter 2. They're both printed for you in toto in the ESV translation in your bulletin. Boys and girls, I've provided you with your own translation in your children's bulletin of both passages, so make sure you have those so you can follow along with us. <clears throat> and before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him once more in prayer. You know, Father God, it is with joy we get to come and feast upon Your Word. Lord, we ask that You would open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths in Your Word. We pray that we would be able to see with all the saints, Lord, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love you have for us in Christ Jesus. That Christ would dwell in our heart by faith. And that we would, with renewed hearts, endeavor after new obedience and new life in you. We ask this, Lord, all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as part of our family, we have a wonderful black lab. Her name is Dixie. And before she got so big and just started shedding like mad, she used to come with me to the office here and she'd just sleep all day on the carpet. It was great. Had, had a wonderful time with Dixie. Dixie, like all dogs, especially labs, loves to eat. And probably the same thing happens at your house. Starting around Halloween for the next couple months, there's a lot more baking and cooking that takes place for some odd reason. And so we were having some more leftovers. And so we were feeding Dixie more leftovers. And one day, mid-December, I go out to do something with Dixie. And she runs up, to, gets all excited, and she bumps into me and just about knocks me down. And I look at her, and just like for the first time, my eyes were open. She was so fat. And I just looked at her and said, Dixie, you're a fatty, fat, fat, fatty. What happened? And I went inside and I told Nikki, I said, Nikki, Dixie is so fat. And Nikki kind of chuckled and looked, and looked at me. She goes, this is difficult for you, isn't it? Because you judge people who have fat dogs. And I started to get defensive and I stopped and went, I do judge people who have fat dogs. What's wrong with me? Why do I do that? And we all do something similar, don't we? We all have kind of something we just fall into. Values we think are important. And we just can't help ourselves. We project those values onto other people. We determine how good of a person they are based on what we value. And that isn't exactly what the Scripture values. Like I can tell you right now, I have no biblical mandate to judge anyone for having a fat dog. And yet my natural inclination is I do. And those of you who, like me, have a fat dog are like, Pastor Son can't come to my house. I know. See, that's judging. And we're good at it, aren't we? In fact, we're quite comfortable with it, aren't we? Yeah. So in January, we looked at how we can bless Orangeburg. We looked at how we can be obedient to the, to the clear mandate from God that we are to work towards the health of our city. Starting last week, we began kind of like a sequel to that, I guess you could say, about getting out of our comfort zone because that is how we're going to bless our city. And what I mean by that is this, until we decide to get out of a comfort zone, nothing changes. Or one of the ways my mentor used to say it to me is like, Sean, everything you want in life is right outside your comfort zone. And so last week, we, we looked at the idea of serving, even when our culture bites us, that we are called to serve even when it hurts, even when we are hurt by those we're trying to serve. 
And this week we're going to look at the mandate for God's people to be a different type of community. Specifically a community that doesn't judge each other. So before we jump in, it's appropriate, I think, to ask the question rhetorically. You don't, please don't scream out an answer. Is Trinity known for being a place where there is love instead of judging? We know the church is made up of sinners. And so this is an area that, if we're candid, we all need to work on. And in the spirit of you know, working on it, let's jump into these two passages here from Leviticus and from Colossians for, for the resources uh, to show the world that we're a different type of community. So <clears throat> first Leviticus, and then we'll jump right into Colossians. So Leviticus chapter 18, verses 3 through 5. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. In Colossians 2, uh, 16 through 23. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's Word. Okay, so we're going to work through this today. Again, the idea of, of, of judging, of how we be a different community that doesn't judge each other. And here's a, here, I want to give you a target we're going to go to today. You can use this to remember what the sermon was about and perhaps in family worship throughout the week. Here's what we're going to talk about. God's people are different because we don't judge each other as the world does. Pretty simple. That even though judging comes naturally to us, We hold on to the reality of Christ because only the gospel has value. So let's see that. First of all, let's let's just admit, let's be candid, we'll jump right in. Judging comes naturally. It's what we do. In this Leviticus passage here, God has rescued his people out of Egypt. But they were Egyptians. They'd been there for 400 years. They were Egyptians. They had to be taught from scratch what it means to be part of God's family. And they were also slaves, which means they were used to living by rules, used to living by what masters told them to do. And so it was comfortable for them to slip back into a series of rules rather than living in the liberty and freedom God had offered them. And so God tells them right away, don't be like what you were, Egypt. Don't be like where you are now, Canaan. And that's the gist of this passage for us today. Don't be like you used to be before Christ set you free. 
Don't be like the people all around you today who don't know Jesus. See, like the Israelites, we too can struggle with the freedom we have in Christ. We are adopted sons and daughters. We, are, we have all the rights and privileges of heirs, we're told, in the New Testament. Yet, because we're also former slaves to sin, it's comfortable for us to live with a slave mindset. Especially since we live around people who are slaves to sin. And what I mean by that is this. Both Egypt and Canaan used people. They devalued people as objects for their own desires, their own pleasure. And it's our natural tendency, because of who we used to be and because of who we're around in the world, to devalue people and judge them based on what we think is important, what we are comfortable with. Not only that, but both in Egypt and Canaan, they used rules and religious rituals and practices to manipulate the supernatural world. If we do this, then the gods have to do this back for us. It's how we get a good life. And that's the root of our religious judging in the church. We, the mind, the, the thought process goes something like this. Yes, I'm saved by grace. But God really likes this behavior. And so when I do this, God is really happy with me. And when others don't do it, we judge them well. They're just not as spiritual because they don't do that. And it's into that comfortable temptation of all of ours that God speaks this word. Don't be like who you were and don't be like the people all around you. Boys and girls, I want to make sure you get this. Look with me at your verse 3. Here's what God is telling His people. It says this, You are not to be like you used to be before I rescued you, nor are you to be like the world around you. Don't live like they do. You see, boys and girls, real Christians are different. We don't act one way at church on Sunday, you know, be real nice to you in Sunday school and stuff, but then at school on Monday they make fun of you and they're mean to you. That's how non-Christians treat each other. But God says, be different. If we're part of God's family through Jesus, boys and girls, we will be different. God calls His people to be different, not just in customs and practices, but in a community whose very difference proves the reality of His grace. We're called to be different. And so what do we do? We hold on to reality in Jesus. Everyone look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, that first verse there under Colossians. It says this, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You see, Colossae was a divided church. Colossae is a very interesting church. We're not going to jump right into that a lot. Just to give you a kind of superficial view here, Colossae was made up of two main factions in that church. You had, we'll call them completed Jews, these are Jews who had come to see that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. They confessed faith and trust in Him, and now they were worshiping as Christians, holding on to all their Jewish heritage. And then you had basically your pagans who had no religious background who had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, been set free from paganism as so you had these two groups. And the way it worked out, it means that like churches in America, basically, that you had a very morally conservative group and with a history and a culture just saturated with, let's call them, churchy practices. And you had the no-boundaries pagans who'd been changed by the gospel, 
and Christ had set them free, and they rejoiced in that freedom, and so they both have a different way of looking at things. And so Paul comes in and says, guess who's right? Yes, you both are. See, this is not just a church problem. We need to get this so we understand what Colossians is trying to tell us. Every human institution has these two groups, at least, doesn't it? Think about your job. Think about clubs you're part of. Think about boards you may serve on. Think about anything where people get together. You're going to have, let's call them progressives and conservatives. Or maybe we could call them innovators and traditionalists. They're everywhere. And Paul comes along, God's Word comes along and says the real difference between the church and the world is that Christians can get along in those differences because Jesus has taken care of the significant things. We can get along without judging each other because Christ has taken care of the big stuff. So the little stuff, we don't worry about it. Right? If only it were that simple. huh? Here's what happens. Let's take a non-controversial, maybe, topic. Okay, I'm going to throw the word out there. Ready? Modesty. We define that word by what we are comfortable with. No one stands in front of the mirror and says, I am an immodest person, right? No one does that. Everybody thinks, yeah, I'm okay. We define it by what we think is important. In other words, we are the standard for modesty. And then we judge others based on how they stand up to us. And so since we are our own standard, it's very hard to allow a difference of opinion, isn't it? Because if they reject our standard, they're rejecting me. You see how it works? Plug in whatever you want to plug in instead of modesty. We become the standard, and it, all of a sudden it ceases to be about that issue, and it's about, well, do you accept me? But if we rest our acceptance in Christ and the gospel, we can say, my value is based on Christ's opinion of me, not your opinion of me. And with that, we can be free to have a difference of opinion without judging. And in that difference, we find wisdom, we find unity. You may not know this, your pastoral staff is actually a really good example of this. John Mark was burned by legalism during college. You know, the kind of strict rules and go jump through these hoops and do these practices and this makes God really like you. Yeah, there's some grace in there somewhere, but make sure you're doing this every day like a good disciple. And it just burned him. And he was delivered out of that. I was bruised by the exact opposite during seminary. I was in a group of people who were led by emotions and sentimentality and gave second, third, fourth thought maybe to God's Word. And so there was all these unspoken things you had to do and I didn't do. And it became a very difficult situation. And I was hurt bad by people who just said, Oh, it's all about freedom and grace, man. It's all good. So think about that baggage we both bring in. Think about the red flags that he has versus the red flags I have. Think about the different comfort zones he and I have. See, and for the good of the church and for gospel ministry, we actually need each other's perspective. And it helps us to work through the issue. They say, this is a red flag. Yeah, but so it's a red flag. But here's what's actually, oh yeah. We've actually been able to help each other discern better. And it's been great for us because we need each other's perspective. That's what Paul's point here is in Colossians. What stands out in the church, what's supposed to stand out in the church, is that we have unity in Christ. So in our differences, instead of judging, we appreciate and learn from each other. 
See, when folk that are different can get along in unity because of Christ, the world takes notice. That's the huge difference from everywhere else. This is why Jesus Christ said, all men will know you are my disciples. Why? Because of your love for each other. Because everybody's got differences, but when you can actually love each other in those, the world notices. And to have that kind of unity, each faction must get out of its comfort zone. That's one of the reasons we have these small groups, these 242 groups meeting on Sunday nights now. We all need to get to know people who are different from us. People who say things we might not agree with, but still have to have loving unity with them. Because it helps us grow together in our unity. Again, boys and girls, I want to make sure you're tracking with me here. Let's go to your Colossians, uh, verse 16. Here's what Paul is saying. Since you're in my family, don't listen to what others think about how good Christians should live. You see, boys and girls, the Bible gets to tell you what a good Christian is. We don't get to judge other people and we don't get to let other people tell us, well, you're not a good Christian. Jesus gets to tell us that. Which means it's okay to be different. So it's okay to have different opinions, boys and girls. So let's look all together at how Paul addresses these two groups. In verses 18 through 19, Paul critiques the comfort zone of the former pagans. Those who, these are the people who come to Christ without much of a church background at all. It's all a different culture to them. They have no experience. They don't know what a hymn is. They don't understand any of this stuff. And so a good thing is usually if they can't find it in Scripture, they resist tem- the uh, pressures, we'll call them, or traditions and practices that church folk take for granted. But in their resistance, they can slip into then judging the traditional folk for living by those practices. Hey, if you're not following with me here, Think about this. Think about those people who really feel deep down you have to dress up to come to church. And think about those people who deep down like, who cares? That's a cultural difference. That's what I'm talking about here. That's the mindset. The pagan religions all around the Roman Empire were all about physical and emotional experiences. Either major indulgence or major denial, either way, focus on your experience, focus on your emotions, focus on your body. It was exciting and it, it, it appealed to your basic desires. And Paul tells the whole church, look, don't let your former pagan brothers bring all that stuff into the church and then judge you by it. See, for these former pagans, real, authentic, religious experience looked nothing like the church. And so when they start worshiping with these former Jews in the very simple first century Christian worship of word, sacrament, prayer, fellowship, they're basically asking the question, where's all the stuff? This is boring. Can this be more exciting? And they start judging. There's no heart here. Where's all the excitement? You guys are just about external works. You don't have, you're not authentic. Where's the gospel? You don't care about the gospel. In case you think I'm getting a little extreme, just this week, I'm part of a pastors and elders group on Facebook. I check it every once in a while when I want to get angry, basically. Um, and just this week, some guy, who I don't know, he's an ordained PCA pastor, just threw out this topic, and it said that. I want to quote it exactly, so I don't, in case you look it up. Here we go, ready? Since the PCA doesn't get the gospel, it should stop planting churches in minority neighborhoods. I remember reading that going, man... There's like 400,000 PCA members. We don't get the gospel? Last count, there's like 4,800 ordained pastors. We don't get the gospel? 
We're just short of 2,000 churches. We don't get the gospel. We need a closed shop. We're done. See, because the majority of the PCA doesn't look like what he thinks it should look like, it doesn't get the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about here. Don't let people bring that junk in the church. Don't let them bind your conscience like that. See, whenever one Christian looks at another Christian and says, oh, you're a Christian, but you don't get it. You're not mature. Because you don't get this particular thing that I know is important. That's being just like Egypt and Canaan. God's people are supposed to be different. When we emphasize our tastes over unity, and make no mistake, we judge each other over tastes, never truth. Paul says we are not holding on to Christ and the gospel. But have hope. Because we live, dear flock, in the same grace in which we are saved. If this is your struggle, and it's all our struggles, the gospel gives you the resources to fight it. God gives unity when we hold fast to Christ. When we focus on Him, we can be free of these things. And so Paul says, don't let that free group come in and bring that stuff into the church and then judge you by it. But there's another group, verses 20 through 22. Paul critiques the former Jews who've become Christians. These guys know the culture of the church. They have a church background. The, the extreme example of these folks today, I'm trying to make it applicable here, is these would be people who, you probably know that some of these people, they use the word Christian as an adjective. Right? Well, that's not the Christian thing to do. Well, is that a Christian way of handling that? I, I, honestly, as a pastor, i got to tell you, I don't know what that means when people say that, by the way. See, every church has a certain culture. And we do too. We dress a certain way at Trinity. We talk a certain way at Trinity. We act a certain way at Trinity. If we engage in certain things, we show up at certain things. We don't do certain things. And it can become, no one says this out loud, but we can start to get into the habit of, so if you check those boxes, you're a real Christian. Paul says straight up in verse 20, don't submit to such rules. Don't do that. See, the problem is not so much that we submit to those rules is that we then impose those rules on other Christians too. In verse 22, Paul is mocking those sorts of rules because he has no respect for junk like that in the church. And he knew what he was talking about. Paul was a former Jew. Remember he called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a church person. He knows this temptation. You know, that voice in your head sometimes, the little, you know, I know I'm saved by grace. But now that I'm in God's family, he'll like me more if I perform like this. And when I do, he owes me a little bit of extra blessing. Especially if I can get others to do better too. See, these people destroy the liberty and the freedom we have in Christ. Because that's Egypt and Canaan stuff brought right into the middle of the church. We judge each other by those things. Again, I want to make sure everybody's tracking with me. So let's all look at the kids' translation of verses 20 through 22. Here's what God is telling his people. If Jesus set us free, why do you follow pretend religious rules like Christians shouldn't read that or Christians shouldn't drink that or Christians shouldn't touch that? Those types of rules are human thinking. They are not from God. I want to be very clear here. It is one thing for the Holy Spirit to come to you and say, you shouldn't read that. You shouldn't touch that. You shouldn't drink that. It's quite another thing if you think, oh, okay, well then y'all shouldn't eat. No, no, no. It's about you. It's 
Holy Spirit can come and bind our conscience on things all the time. The difference in a religious Pharisee person then says, oh, well, if I've got to do it, they've got to do it. Whereas the person living in unity in Christ says, well, my conscience is bound on this issue, but I can't quote chapter and verse, so I'm not going to bind my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. These people were, as good Jews, if you don't know anything about first century Judaism, they had all sorts of rules about what you could read, drink, touch, everything. Paul's saying, don't let them bring that junk into church and then judge you. See, true Christian liberty only happens in the gospel where we are secure in the finished work of Christ. Submitting to worldly regulations in the church puts us in bondage. And it tells onlookers that Christianity is about Jesus plus this stuff. Let's make sure we don't do that, dear flock, to a watching world. We never need to show them Jesus plus whatever it is. But falling into those factions, judging each other, comes so naturally, doesn't it? We're very comfortable doing it. But we must, dear flock, get out of our comfort zones because only the gospel has value. This is one of the most freeing messages and verses in all of Scripture. Everybody look at the ESV translation of verse 23 there in your bulletin. It says this, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, these rules and these practices that we judge each other by, these tastes, they appear to be wisdom, don't they? But actually, it's only wisdom in a religion that we've made up. It's not the gospel. It has no value, Paul says. You see, when we judge each other, what we're doing, instead of resting in Jesus Christ alone, we are actually functionally resting in this as our Savior. If I do this, God loves me. Or if I don't do this, God loves me. And because I saw you do it, God doesn't love you as much as He loves me. And therefore, I get to judge you. Again, I am not talking about becoming a Christian. I am talking to those of you who already are Christians. We believe in salvation by grace through faith to get into God's kingdom. But on some level, we don't fully believe the gospel because we think that we have to perform to maintain God's love for us. And whatever the list we come up with in our hearts that I have to perform, we can't help but project on others and judge them by our list. Paul says, don't bring that stuff in the church. Don't do it. Because we're doing that because we're looking to us instead of looking to the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by grace. We're looking to some behavior, some rules we've invented. Here's where it really destroys community. When we see somebody who's free from our rules, we judge them because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I may not be the best Christian, but I'm better than them. Look at what they wore to church. Look at that picture they posted on Facebook. Can you believe they do that? See, we judge them because we are not living in the fullness of the gospel. We think it's about performance instead of about Christ. We are living like we used to in Egypt or like the people all around us in Canaan instead of being different. And again, if that resonates with you, don't be discouraged. Don't get downcast. Have joy. You can repent and believe the gospel right now. See, we embrace judging because it's our comfort zone. 
We think God wants us to perform for Him. But in the Gospel, we have the amazing truth. Jesus Christ performed for us. There's nothing else to do but rest in His finished work. He will set you free. And then you won't have to care what you or others wear to church or how they talk or whatever rule we come up with. The freedom of the gospel will bring non-judging unity to the church if we will embrace it. Because God's people are different because we don't judge each other as the world does. Now what I want to do here, I want to wrap this up by being very practical. I want to try to, let's, let's put some, some feet to this. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is telling the story about what God will do when believers first show up at heaven. Do you remember the story, what he says, what, what God says? God comes and says to them what? Well done, good and faithful servant. His first word is not, you didn't do this very well. Uh, on these three Sabbath days, you didn't wear a tie? No, it's a good job. I'm so glad you're here. Here's a practical exercise for us. Instead of judging, let's be different. Let's be known as a community of encouragement. Go out of your way to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go out of your way to encourage your brothers and sisters in Orangeburg who aren't yet in Christ. Pre-believers. Let's not call them non-believers, right? Pre-believers. Go out of your way to encourage, especially in the area where you have a hang-up. Okay, confession time, ready? This is a sinful, judgmental thing your pastor does, and I am owning it. I've owned it before. I judge men who wear flip-flops. If, if there's not sand and water, I judge you. I do. I'm sorry. I've done it. John Mark has led worship on Sunday night wearing flip-flops. Yes, I have never told him this. You know Why? I have no right to. Who cares about my hang-up with seeing men's toes, right? <laughs> exactly. But we do it all the time with things. And so I go out of my way. Whenever I see a man wearing flip-flops, I try to engage them and compliment them in some way to overcome my hang-up because my hang-up is stupid. I'm not going to say your hang-ups are stupid, but I don't know how to finish that sentence. So let's move on. Let me get real practical, okay? I am no good. Those of you who've had lunch with me realize this, and usually it's a shock because you're like, but in front of people. Anyway, I am no good at one-on-one -on -one conversation, especially if it's spontaneous. My hands get sweaty. I get nervous. I can't find the words. I start to fumble around. Those of you who, you know, you've caught me in one-on-one. -on -one, I'm like, oh, bleh, bleh, bleh. like do you, can you talk? I, just, I just get nervous and tongue-tied. Give me a, I, I can speak in front of thousands, no problem. You give me one person, I'm like, oh, scary. I don't know how to get people to continue talking in a conversation either. You know, some people can just draw it out. You just find yourself talking, right? I cannot do that. And so I have to memorize strategies and lists on how to do conversation. It's like a task for me. Yes, you can laugh at me. Go ahead. That, that's the truth. I'm going to give you one of my, my tips. You ready? Here's how to be a person of encouragement in your world. People love to complain about the state of our world, the state of our country, the current bad news of the day is what everybody wants to talk about, right? Listen to them. And then use that as a springboard to share the hope that you have within you because of Christ. Man, this world is crazy. ISIS is gaining more and more ground and our leaders just have no idea how to handle it. I know it is crazy. 
I'm so glad Christ is going to return and set all things right, aren't you? Or, this country's going down the tubes. I just don't see how America's going to continue. You know, our country's definitely changing. I'm glad for the promise that countries come and countries go, but the church will endure forever, aren't you? If they aren't a Christian, I'm so thankful to have hope in this world because you're right, it's crazy. Because of Jesus Christ, these things, I'm concerned for the immediate future, but long term, Christ is going to make it all right. What kind of hope do you have? It will be uncomfortable to speak the truth that way to people. I refer you to the picture. We are called to get out of our comfort zones. And loving our community well means helping them have hope by changing the conversation. Well, those of you who are here today and you're not quite sure about Christ, on behalf of all Christians, we are redeemed sinners. Our inclination is to judge. We're not perfect. We are still going to gossip and judge, but we are trying our best through God's grace to repent and overcome it by the gospel. We're trying to live out that reality of the gospel. and We're trying to love each other well. If, you, if you'd like to be part of our faltering community, learning to love, repenting often, we'd, we'd love to have you. None of us deserves to be in God's family. None of us stands up here on our own right. We are here because we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. In His work, we are redeemed, not in our work. We believe that Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived and He died the death we should have died so God, who is holy and just, could adopt sinners like us who aren't. He could actually make us His children because of Christ. You can be part of His family too with us if you'd like. If you simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do it now. You don't have to wait. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a judging God. And that because your people stood condemned under your righteous holy judgment, you sent your Son under the law to redeem us from the curse of that judgment. That when you look at us, you say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you judge us through Christ. Lord, would you help those of us who know you to be changed by that reality would you sear the reality that we are judged through christ into our hearts so that we would stop judging other people instead lord would you make it true by your holy spirit that the whole world will know we are yours because of our love for each other lord we can't do this would you by the power of your spirit in the gospel make us non-judging people who appreciate differences lord we ask you would do this father in jesus name Amen. Would you please stand?